Now we're Romans chapter 12, and to go back two weeks, because if you're like me, it feels like we never do service 4th of July weekends. We didn't have service last weekend, uh, but it feels like it's not been two weeks, but like two months since I've seen everybody, and I've missed you. Um, so welcome back. But two weeks ago, we had been talking about, and really the whole month of June, we had been talking about how the gospel should be alive and active in our lives, that the Word of God through the Holy Spirit should be working in our, in our minds and working in our hearts and working in our lives as it continually transforms us, that the gospel isn't this one-time thing, but rather it needs to be preached to us over and over again every day, that we start off every day uh, remembering and, and starting off in humility, understanding who we are and understanding how powerful God is and what God did for you and for me so that we could be reconciled to him that he gave his son out of pure love for us to defeat sin and death so that we can be forgiven and so that we can be followers of Jesus. And two weeks ago, we finished by kind of wrapping up that first month saying that when we spend time alone with God, we fall more in love with Him. And the thing that we love, the things that we love, we talk about. It takes you an unbelievable little amount of time spent with me to learn that I have a wife named Tab that I absolutely love, that I have two boys that are amazing and loud and active, and I absolutely love them, and I will tell you stories unending about a lot of things, but specifically about my family. It also takes you a very little amount of time to know how happy I am that two nights in a row the Yankees have beat the Red Sox, <laughs> and convincingly. But the things we love, the things we know, we talk about. We have almost these default options that we go to. When you meet somebody, no, I know this. I heard a comedian one time say, yeah, he goes, uh, I like to tell people, like, see that? That's an airplane. I know it's an airplane. People respect confidence. It sounds stupid, but we go back to the things that we know, the things that we love. And so a lot of times when we are, when we are saying, well, I just don't talk that much about God, it's uncomfortable, do we really love him? The things that we love, we talk about. So that's review I want to jump into Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Paul is writing, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It is not an accident that we have been going over this ver these two verses over and over and over again the last couple months. And I want you to take a pause here just to really understand that word, therefore, right at the beginning of verse 1 means everything in Romans. Uh, Romans is actually used uh, when I was in Indiana, the... Uh, Indiana University in Bloomington, the law school used the book of Romans of how to present a perfect case in a court of law. 
Uh, a lot of law schools use this. Paul is a lawyer. Uh, when it says that he studied the law as he's writing this, this is written as this beautifully constructed defense of the gospel, defense of why we believe in Jesus. And it goes through both Gentiles and Jews, starting in chapter 1 and going all the way through. And I'm going to get lost if I keep going. But when he says, therefore, it says all of these things we've now seen in these first 11 chapters. So don't discount the importance that Paul is coming to here in uh, chapter 12. He says, I urge you or I plead with you. I beg you, brothers and sisters, meaning those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, that have become, uh, that Jesus has become the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. And then he says, in view of God's mercy. And this is actually a picture of almost lenses. So when we look at this as if we were putting on sunglasses or, or some form of uh, lenses over our eyes that we can see things differently, he says, now as you look at all things in life, look through these lenses of looking through God's mercy and what he's done for you. When we can see the world as the way that God sees the world, when we see things in view of God's mercy and what he has done for us, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to come back to that. Holy meaning set apart for a special purpose and pleasing. That word pleasing is a sacrifice that would have been offered in the Old Testament that would have been pleasing to God, a sweet smell of an aroma of somebody offering something to God that now pleases God. And so it is set apart for a special purpose and it has been accepted and it is pleasing to God. And then he says, this is your true and proper worship. And a better way to say that in modern times is it just makes sense. In view of all that God has done for you, how could we not in turn offer a sacrifice to him, but the sacrifice he's asking for is this living sacrifice. As we were discussing this, um, Derek said, yeah, the problem with a living sacrifice is it's still alive. And things that are alive move. You see, what they would do when they would sacrifice an animal is it was usually dead. Dead animals don't move quickly most of the time. Actually, when I was doing this in the pre-service, I remembered the, I shouldn't say it, but I remember a song in the 80s called Dead Puppies. Uh, dead puppies don't come when you call. They don't chase squirrels at all. Dead puppies aren't much fun. Don, have you heard of it? Because you're laughing pretty hard. You wrote it. Oh. That's beside the point, but now all of you are going to be YouTubing the rest of the service trying to find this song. Things that are, the sacrifices that are dead don't move. As human beings, maybe if you're like me in any way, you're distracted easily. It doesn't take much. Uh, my one brother was called in. His one son was um, having trouble paying attention in school. This is a true story. And they called him into the guidance counselor's office, and they said, hey, your son is uh, really having a hard time paying attention. We think he may have uh, attention deficit. And my brother's immediate response is, what do you mean my son has attention? Whoa, was that a new playground? As he looked out the window. But a lot of times that's how we act spiritually. We wake up and we're like, God, thank you for all you've done in my life, all you've offered for me. And today I want to live every moment for, oh, let me go see if the coffee's done. I got to make breakfast really quick. Is that one of my kids crying? And then all of a sudden that night we're going back to bed and say, oh, that's what I was supposed to do today. I was supposed to live as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, offering my all to him. Tomorrow will be better. So we live as a living, alive, moving sacrifice. This text takes dedication to give our all back to God and let every part of our being, 
surrendered to him for his use. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. That word conform means the world around us, everything, every type of influence that we have, good or bad, boss, social media, news, television, friend groups, you name it. All of those things are working together to form us into how it wants us. They are conforming. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to the world around you, but rather be transformed. And that transformation is the transformation work of God through the Holy Spirit in your heart and life. And it begins here. And it begins hearing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, listening to the Holy Spirit. And as your life begins to be transformed, the world around you starts to take notice. And now instead of the outside pressures forming you into who it wants you to be, you are now representing Christ and you are starting to change that circle of influence we call around you for God's glory, not your own. So when we look at what we're going to be going through tonight, I want us to start thinking through how we compartmentalize our life because we all do it. We all have these different compartments. When I go to church, this is Rob at church. Uh, when I go to work, let's say on the construction site, that's Rob at the construction site. When I'm home with my family, uh, that's Rob at home with his family. When I'm with my extended family, that's Rob at that family. When I'm with my in-laws, that's Rob with my in like. And we all have these different compartments, these different drawers that we put things in. Something happens and our brain just automatically goes, oh, we file that under work. Oh, that we file under church. Oh, that we file under. And we do this every day in every aspect of life. Um, and if you don't, chances are you'll, you'll be fired in a lot of cases. But the gospel is not compartmentalized. And so when we say, uh, I have to live as a sacrifice, in a lot of ways we start to think, but how do I add that drawer? Or how do I add something more to my life? My life is already so busy I can't possibly add anything else to my life. And now I go to church and I'm going to get beat up with a Bible saying you got to do this and you got to do that. Life's too busy. I'll be back. So I want to talk tonight about what it means to live on mission. And this is actually what we're going to be going over the next two months. What does it mean to live on mission? Before we do that, I want to just look through, and please write these references down, go back through them. Um, in fact, John, we didn't discuss this, but when, at the end of the service tonight, we're going to be taking communion. I actually want to come back to this slide, or Joey, during communion. But in order for us to understand what living on mission is, I actually want to go and look at what Jesus did briefly, looking at just a few verses on what did Jesus do for you and for I? What did Jesus do uh, for those who call on his name. Starting Luke chapter 19, verse 10. It tells us, For the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as the ransom for many. Galatians 1.4, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God. 1 Timothy 1.15, 
Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. When we go back to Philippians chapter 2, we see he, had, he was in the throne room sitting at the right hand of God in heaven, in control of all things. And he gave that up to come to earth to be disobeyed, to be mocked, to be murdered, to die, to take on your sins and my sins because he knew it had to happen and defeat death so that we could have a Savior. Christ Jesus came into this world to save you. Christ Jesus came into this world to save me. Titus 2.14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Uh, John Owen, who was a Puritan pastor and author in the 1600s, wrote from these statements, talking about these verses, from these statements, it is clear that the purpose of Christ's death was to save people from sin, to deliver people from this evil world, to make people pure and holy, and to create people who do good works. Hopefully you're picking up that we were designed and created with purpose. I'm going to tie this up with 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Paul writes, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you are here tonight and you have never made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, that's my message to you. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So what does that mean for you and I? It means that you and I are ambassadors or representatives of this reconciliation. That you and I, who once all we could do is sin constantly and rebel constantly against God are now brought in to God's family. We are told we are co-heirs with Jesus. Sinners like us. It means we are now representatives of reconciliation. That now we seek to have peace with the people around us. That we are now peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers we read in Matthew 5. When we are making peace with human beings around us, when we are putting our bias aside and looking at love with our neighbors, that we are representing Christ. Why? Because we want people to know him. How could we, sinners saved by grace, have something so great and not want to share it with everyone we come in contact with? 
So how do we transform those around us? I have great news. We don't. God does. A lot of times when we come to these types of messages, and I do not want you leaving here, I want you to leave here with a plan and excitement and hope, not feeling like, oh, I did it wrong. We don't transform those around us. We don't save people around us. Only God does that. Only God, because of what Jesus did when he defeated sin and death, does that. We just represent him, which is hard when we're doing it on our own power. When we rely on God and the Holy Spirit to work through us and transform us, we're just living out what we truly believe. Remember, two weeks ago we talked about these jars of clay. There's this treasure, meaning the gospel, meaning, if you would, the greatest product ever made has been kept in these jars of clay. And it sounds nice to us. Today's equivalent of that is a styrofoam cup. This incredible treasure, this incredible product, if you will, has the worst marketing system I could think of. The marketing system is me. The marketing system is you. And that's how we're representing this treasure of the gospel is through us. It doesn't make any earthly sense. But when we then continue to read that God does this to demonstrate his power, not ours. He does this to demonstrate how great he is, not how great we are. We, in turn, live our lives to point people and bring the glory to God, not ourselves. So when we start to going into this exercise... Please understand, we are all on mission. It's what you and I were created to do. All those experiences that you've had in your life that just don't make sense and you can't believe they happened and why did God allow me to go through this, all of those were done so that you could live on mission for God, representing the power of God and pointing other people to Him. When other people hear what you've been through and hear your story and say that, say, how can you smile. How can you have joy? How could you forgive? And just say, because I've been forgiven. Because I've been loved. So just know that as we go through living on mission, we're not asking you, and I'll go over this again, to do something extra. We're just asking you to understand that it's what God created you to do, and God has sovereignly placed you where he wants you. He has sovereignly given you the neighbors. He has sovereignly put you wherever it is that you are. God put you there for a purpose. Whatever it is that is in your, what I call, circle of influence, God has put you there. The children that you have, God gave you. The spouse that you have, all of those things have been given to you by God for his glory. So you are exactly where you are and doing exactly what you are doing because God in his sovereignty said, I want you representing me here. You are doing these things for his glory, not your own. This takes a change of mindset. We have to change our mindset when we start to uh, look at this. Um, pretend, if you will, that you have a friend. Some of you have to pretend. Just kidding, just kidding. I had way too much coffee. You have a friend, and all they do is complain about work. Complain about how everybody is out to get them. Uh, everybody is just there to cause them problems, and everyone is trying to get them fired. And after a while, you're like, what kind of a place do you work at? This sounds like the worst place in the world. And so you go, and you're like, hey, can I follow you to work one day? 
I just got to see this. And they're like, okay, but just be ready. You're going to see people trying to get me fired today. I'm like, all right. And so you go, and it turns out they're a lifeguard. And as you're standing next to the lifeguard seat, you see a three-year-old whose safety swim vest thing has come off, and they drop under the water. And your friend, the lifeguard, jumps in, runs over, grabs the three-year-old, pulls him up. He's okay. It wasn't that long. Hands him to the mom. The mom is so happy. He comes out of the pool, and he walks by, and he says, the three-year-old just tried to get me fired. Can you believe that? <laughs> you're insane. That three-year-old wasn't targeting you. A three-year-old didn't have it out for you and woke up this morning and said, Mom, I need my diaper changed, and I'm getting Clay fired. That lifeguard, I don't like the way he looks at me. He told me to stop running last week. It's insane. But a lot of times, that's how we view our life. God has placed us as a lifeguard exactly where he wants us. And the person that's causing you the most problems is the person that is begging for help. They're begging for a better way. They're not after you. Ephesians 6 tells us that our fight isn't against flesh and blood. Satan is always trying to distract you and get you to see things. I'm convinced that the reason that Paul could be beaten so many times and not be upset or fight back is because he knew they're just doing what Satan wants them to do. My fight isn't with them. So when we go into these different locations, please understand you are a lifeguard that was put there to rescue people, to point them the way of safety, to point them to the way of life. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Unfortunately, we can get in this mindset of, oh, I don't have to do that. I give money to this missionary. In Africa, he does that. Oh, I don't have to do that in my community. I give money at church, and my church staff does that, or my pastor does that. I don't have to do that. That's a lot. I already got a busy life. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. All right, we've come to our worksheet. If you would, hopefully you see that it's set up like this. We included the quote as well. And we've heard us say we are representatives of everywhere where we live, learn, work, and play. That should cover just about every aspect of your life, some more than others, depending on where you are in life. So here's what I want to do. I actually want you, this is where you take out your pen, and we're going to walk through a couple of these, and then I'm actually going to give you time to start going through these. So everybody, hands up, pens up. I gotta see, I'm, I'm serious. I want to make sure everybody's actually doing this. It's annoying when you don't. And we spent a lot of time and effort. Just kidding. Uh, but seriously, this is just a start. We are going to be covering going back over this again in two weeks. Um, and so it's important you do this, but it's, again, it's a conversation piece. This is a uh, take-home worksheet, if you will. But here's how I want you to think about this. Going back to that God has specifically designed you, created you, sovereignly placed you, everywhere where you live, learn, work, and play, instead of saying that living out the gospel is now something extra I have to add, instead it is being a living sacrifice in all of these areas. So Tab and I have been working through this for about two weeks uh, because we made it up and we could, so we're cheating. But to kind of walk through 
uh, hopefully this changes a mindset of how you view these things. So where do I live? I live in my house. Currently, my house is occupied by my wife and myself, and as far as I know, there's two human beings who have not met Jesus yet in my house. I don't believe that they are of an age where they can properly make that decision, but I do believe that they watch everything Tab and I do, and they say everything Tab and I say. They're five and two for those of you that don't know them. Tab and I are discipling them. Discipleship starts with them. Their introduction into what it means to know Jesus is Tab and I. That's a lot of responsibility because they don't know Jesus yet. Tab and I are teaching them how to interact as a husband and wife. We're teaching them how to eventually raise their children, if that's what God has for them. They're watching everything we do. They're watching, and especially as, as a pastor growing up in a pastor's home myself, they're watching how much time do I actually spend in God's Word before I go and tell a bunch of people to spend time in God's Word. How much time do I spend in prayer before I go and tell a bunch of people, hey, are you spending time praying? They're unbelievably accountability. It's impacting their entire lives, and they don't know Christ yet. So it starts in my house. So write down your address under live, because you all live at that address. Secondly, the neighborhood that I live in. I live very far away in Quail Arbor, and I'm not sure if it's Quail Arbor 5 or Quail Arbor but it is literally right here. You take a right and another right into that neighborhood. That is a mission field that God placed us a little over a year ago. And we are extremely fortunate because God placed us in a mission field with other missionaries. So in that neighborhood is us. The Hagues live there. Um, Jasmine lives there. The Tiepos live there. And so we have an army. But also, we know other people in the neighborhood who uh, go to other churches who know and love Jesus. And so, what does it look like for us to just start coming together as neighbors and say, hey, what can we do? What can we do? And, and maybe it's setting up the inflatable screen that we have and doing a movie in my front lawn, or Jasmine has a much nicer yard. Uh, set, a lot of fire ants in mine. Setting it up in one of our yards just to have people come over. We have, in the last year, we've had an amazing changeover from uh, retired people, original owners when the neighborhood was built, to young families. Almost every day when you watch out our front yard, there's a new family walking by that just moved into the neighborhood. So what does it look like to come together and say, again, not for Hope Church, but for the kingdom of God? What does it look like to impact our uh, immediate area of accountability for God's glory and to build his kingdom? And coming alongside of other believers at other churches and saying, hey, how do we do this together? We can't do it alone. So write down what neighborhood you live in, write down what apartment complex you live in, write down what street, whatever it is, write that down under live. Because I know all of you live somewhere. The second one is a little more unique, learn. Hopefully all of you are learning, but I can't give you as good of an example as learning. I can tell you what we have decided for us. We wrote Sires Elementary in there. That is where Rock is starting kindergarten next month which is so crazy. So we decided, you know what? For us, that just means we're going to look at his class and his teacher and start there. We're going to look at how do we know, make sure that that teacher knows that we are so thankful 
we're we're going to love them we're going to do whatever it is that we can to demonstrate Jesus starting with her and just to see what doors open up uh, we've also been able to um Will and Derek and I have already started meeting with um, Ben Gibson. Actually, the guys I'm mentioning, Ryan and Ben, are working security tonight. Um, what does it look like for us to come specifically at Fox Ridge Farm? How do we help out? What can we do? What are things that we as a church or do we have people that can uh, go to Ashley Ridge High School and, and just start helping out? And we've been having ongoing conversations and are really excited about some of the possibilities of things that we can do there. Uh, and just so that learn doesn't necessarily mean you specifically, but where do your children go to school or, or what school is near you or how can you volunteer or uh, how do you help coach or whatever it is. What are the opportunities that you have in just that schooling, college, or maybe you just enjoy reading yourself. That's how you learn. What does it look like instead of learning all by yourself in your house? You go to a coffee shop where you can interact with people. That's up to you. That's a discussion that you have with you or your household, whatever it is. Third is work. And again, I have a different thing for me than you do for you. I work at a church. I don't get in trouble to preach the gospel loudly. I get paid to preach the gospel loudly. And uh, going back to live, um, as far as I know, all my neighbors aren't going to show up and say, hey, we know you're a pastor. Come on out. Preach the gospel to us. We're going to sit in your front lawn. We can't wait to hear it. So I have to be actively living like a missionary to build relationships to introduce them. Whereas at my work, I do get to just stand up and people show up and sit in chairs and I preach the gospel to them. So my work, chances are, is somewhat different than yours. And especially now during COVID. And one of the messages that we're hoping to do is to actually have a panel of people who represent in the community of how do I, working from home, how do I this, how do I do this, how do I live on mission at my work. We thought of two simple ways that everybody can write down. Write down the name of a boss and or a coworker, both, and just start praying. Just start praying. God, how do I demonstrate Jesus to this person? I get one email from them a week. Don't even know what they look like. How do I demonstrate Jesus to them? So again, work, you have to figure that out on your own and talk through it with people. And then play. What do you do in your, maybe it's not necessarily free time. So again, for Tab and I, there's two things. One, in the summer, we spend a lot of time at the YMCA pool. Um, it is a great way to burn energy off of a five and two-year-old. So we try to get there as much as possible. And just like uh, where I live, there's several people I know that go to the YMCA pool to do the exact same thing that we're there for. So for Tab and I, it's how do we learn the names of every lifeguard? Uh, how do we meet people that are there doing the same thing that we're doing that we've never met before? And it's wonderful because children usually make that have to happen. No, 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 put that down. That's not yours. Hey, put that down. Put that. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm sorry, my son just stole your son's toy. Um, or you have a five-year-old who introduces himself to everyone. Uh, we were walking, he's like Buddy the Elf. We were walking on the sawmill trail and a bike went by. He goes, my name's Rock, what's your favorite color? And as they went by, I kid you not. So one is the YMCA pool. That is where we spend a lot of our time. Anytime that we can have, we go there. The second thing is every Saturday morning, uh, we try to go to the farmer's market in downtown Somerville. Uh, we build relationships with the different, we go to El Capricho every Saturday morning for breakfast. Great food truck, if you haven't had their food truck yet. 
Uh, we go to the coastal tent. We get coffee. Um, we just start to meet different people in the community, the people from Somerville Dream who put on the whole thing. Um, we've built relationships with them through different avenues. So uh, I'm not saying everybody show up at the farmer's market on Saturday, but what are these different areas where you live, learn, work, and play that you start to view differently? You start to view intentionally. You're already doing them. God has already placed you. Is it the community pool? Maybe uh, I know we have several swimmers, kids that swim in here. Uh, do you go to a match going, oh, man, I cannot wait to watch five-year-olds try to swim a lap? Or do you go there going, like, what an incredible opportunity to meet people and share Jesus? What an incredible opportunity. Soccer, whatever it is, wherever it is that you find yourself going to, do you go there with intention? Or do you isolate yourself off? I was going to take five minutes for you to start to work through that where you are. But I'm going longer than I thought. So we'll take three. Three minutes that allow me to get a drink of water. But for three minutes, start to work through this sheet. What fits for you? If you're sitting with your family, with your spouse, with your room, whatever it is, start to work through that uh, sheet. So three minutes. All right. So hopefully uh, you have finished that up. And I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we, as we close up this evening. 1 Peter chapter 2. By the way, for the next two months, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Romans 12 and the book of 1 Peter. Um, when it comes to how do we live out the gospel in just everyday life. So please start reading this, those on your own as, as well. Um, start First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Peter writes, now he's writing this into a people that are heavily persecuted. In fact, in the book of First Peter, there's a lot of code words um, that he uses simply because of the persecution that the Christians are undergoing at the time of this writing. So he's writing, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Partnering this with Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, this mercy that you have received. You have been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. And now the first phrase, verse 9, understand that this would have been shocking to the people at this time. He says, you are a chosen people. And he's talking to believers. That means the reconciliation between the Jewish world and the Gentile world. He's saying you are now one person. Race, no longer in God's eyes. Race, nation of origin, all of those things, they have all come together because you now are a chosen people, God's people. The Jews would have been furious. How dare you say that Gentiles are a chosen person? The Romans, the Roman citizens would have said, no, 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 I am not on the same class as slaves. So that phrase, that very first phrase, you all are a chosen people. Or I guess down here they say y'all. Y'all are chosen people. (laughs) First, incredible. For us, we don't think of that. You are a chosen people. Yes, I am. Got that right. But at this time, saying that all of you are a chosen people would have been shocking. 
The second shocking statement he says is, you are a royal priesthood, a kingly representative of God. You are all prince and princesses in God's kingdom, co-heirs with Jesus. At that time, and in, even now, a priest is somebody that is put on a pedestal. They represent God. You cannot. You are just a people. You have to come to me. At this time, the Jewish people, the priests, or the Levites, were the upper echelon. They're the ones that did everything in the temple. But now, Christians, a slave is walking into a home church, and he has just as much right to be there. He has just as much right to be called a saint. He has just as much right to be called part of this royal priesthood as anybody, no matter how much money they have. Second shocking statement. Chosen people, a royal priesthood that everyone has access to. To God, that everyone is a minister to the gospel. Understand what that means. Uh, that means that you and I both have the same calling. You don't just go to church and hope the pastor and hope the staff does it all because you're busy. We all have the same calling to be ambassadors of reconciliation everywhere that we go. And then, third, he says, a holy nation. That nation. This would have been shocking to those who are so proud of their Roman citizenship. They would have been so proud whenever they talk about, well, I am, and they say their name, and they say where they are from. I am Paul of Tarsus. Uh, that means, or Saul of Tarsus. That means he has this uh, name. He's part of the Benjamin, and he's named Saul after Benjamin, uh, the tribe of Benjamin. That is a big deal. The first king of Israel was of the tribe of Benjamin. And then as he's going through in Philippians, and he's going through all of his credentials, if you will. He is a Roman citizen. That sets him apart. Now he's set apart in both Jewish and Roman. And he goes through all of his credentials and he says, but it is all as, and the Greek word is skubala, which is in modern day Greek, a swear word. We say it's all as garbage. He was using much stronger language than that. So he says, now you are a holy nation. There was a huge sense of nationalism if you were of Rome. And so to say that this is a nation that is set apart for God and God alone, shocking statement. So understand when we look at we are on mission, that everyone here is a chosen people. You are chosen by God. All of you here are part of this royal priesthood to be this ambassador of reconciliation, ambassador of the gospel of God, and that we are a holy nation. That our allegiance isn't to a man-made kingdom. Our allegiance is to God. That we serve him first and foremost. That we represent him first and foremost. Now, Peter also tells us to be good citizens. And Paul tells us to be good citizens and to obey your earthly authority. And, to, and even in this book where they're undergoing extreme persecution, he says, respect the emperor. You're like, whoa, do you know what the emperor is doing? He says, respect the emperor. So there is a balance there. Please understand. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. So as you go through this worksheet, as you go through this take-home homework, keep in mind, Spurgeon, as Christians, we are either missionaries or imposters, that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. How are we representing that to the world around us? Dearly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to know you, 
that you have made the means possible for us to be reconciled to God. It is nothing that we could do. It was only something that you could do. It was not by our good works. It was because of the perfect work of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we go into this time of communion, as we go into this time of stopping to think about you and what you've done for us, I pray that if there is anyone here who has never called out to you, there's anyone here who has never experienced the forgiveness that only you can offer, the life that only you can offer, the joy, the love that only you can offer, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would call out to you confessing their sins and, and telling you how much they need you as a Savior, Lord and Savior. Lord, for those that do know you that are here this evening, our prayer is that we would con continue to go to your word, that we would continue to represent you wherever we are. That we would understand that because of your sovereignty, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priest, that we are a holy nation representing you. That this would cause us to run to you and rely on you and you alone. That we would hunger and thirst for the righteousness that only you can provide. I pray these things in Jesus' name.